The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Hello, everybody. We bumped into a little hiccup, and uh, I thank you for your patience. Hopefully, you didn't check out on us. Uh, so uh, we're going to start back with the show. Obviously, uh, you know, Mark Hicks is is the uh, my guest, uh, and he was just kind of giving a little bit of background information of who he is before we start talking about the New Thought Jesus. So, uh, Mark, uh, please go forward. Okay. Well, I'm a licensed teacher. Uh, and uh, I'm now eight weeks into a new ministry at the Unity Center of Christianity in Baltimore as their spiritual leader. But for the past 10 years, I've been publishing um, Unity resources on a website called truthunity.net. And this is a lot of text, uh, video, audio. And uh, most relevant to this is the hyperlinking of the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary with the Bible. So you can actually read online uh, the American Standard Version of the Bible, and it'll have hyperlinks to the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary. And that uh, gives people the ability to uh, online actually do Metaphysical Bible study. And uh, that's quite popular, and there's a lot of other stuff. But that's who I am. Thank you. All right, beautiful. So, you know, um, when I was putting these shows together and – you know, I've talked about a lot of things. Adam and Eve talked about Moses. We've talked about, uh, you know, different situations, law of attraction, et cetera. When I got to the place where I said, man, I want to talk about the new thought Jesus, your mind came, your, your, your name came right to my mind. Like Mark Hicks, he's the man that I need to talk to about the new thought Jesus. But before we get to the New Thought Jesus, it was a certain amount of questions that um, I've asked every person that's been a guest during this series. So before we get to the Jesus questions, I do have a few questions I would like you to answer, and because I'm trying to get the insight from different perspectives. So the, the first question is, what is metaphysical Bible interpretation, and why is it important to the New Thought movement? Well, I, in my sense... Uh, when we talk about the Bible in traditional Christianity, the meta narrative is creation, sin, judgment, and redemption. 
In other words, you talk to just about anybody in uh, the Catholic world, the Protestant world, they're going to give you some version of that, that we were created, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, that there was a judgment, and they need to be redeemed. New Thought approaches the whole subject of Christianity from a whole different perspective. Our meta-narrative is not creation, sin, judgment, and redemption. Our meta-narrative and new thought is mind, idea, and expression. And the theology of that is known as metaphysics. And so when we go to approach the Bible or approach our spiritual journeys, we don't approach it from a foundation of being sinful or being judged or needing redemption. We approach it from a sense of, of my mind and the mind of God are one. And we achieve that. That's what we call oneness with God. But that's where we start. We don't start with sin. We start with oneness of God, a bondedness to God. And the Bible, metaphysical Bible interpretation, supports that uh, with references from the Bible. And so metaphysical Bible interpretation is important to uh, as a foundation for everything we do in New Thought. Um, and it, 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 as I mentioned, it's mind, idea, and expression. That is the meta-narrative. That is the big story, the overarching story uh, that we, we, uh, it, we find in the Bible, we find in, in all sacred, sacred, sacred scriptures. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So, so why is metaphysical Bible interpretation important to our understanding about God? Well, in traditional Christianity... Uh, theology. They're, they're often, it is often said that the sources of our understanding about God is either it's either tradition, which is coming basically from the Catholic tradition, or it's scripture, which is coming from Protestantism, uh, or it's reason, which is something that's new, but it, it came about in, with the rise of the Enlightenment or it's experience, and experience came to be recognized as an authority. In other words, how do we know about God? You know, that's, that's the question. Is it, is it tradition, scripture, reason, or experience? And that's been the, the traditional Christian answer all along. New thought comes along, and their basic, the basic point is we know about God in new thought through intuition. In other words, our minds have the capacity to look outward to events, experiences. We can read scripture. We can, uh, we can read about church tradition. But in New Thought, the ultimate authority is our intuition, which is what Emily Cady called spiritual understanding. In other words, we rely on our own intuition to give us uh, authoritative answers to the most penetrating questions. And so metaphysical Bible interpretation is a, is a way to read the Bible that honors our capacity to intuitively understand Scripture. We may look at Scripture and say, that's interesting, that uh, sounds good, but the ultimate arbiter, the ultimate judge is our intuition. And that, of course, resonates with 
with uh, what Ralph Waldo Emerson and the Transcendentalists brought, um, Swedenborg, so many people in the New Thought movement were intuitives. And um, so metaphysical Bible dictionaries, or metaphysical Bible interpretation honors and stresses that when we read scripture, we do it through the eyes of intuition or spiritual understanding. In other words, God is talking to us almost, you know, Jesus kind of did this as well. He taught in parables, and, and his disciples asked, why do you speak in parables? And, and he responded by saying, because ordinary folk don't know how to understand what I'm talking about. And I must speak in parables, not to hide things, but to bring out the intuitive understanding of things. And that's what we do in New Thought. Beautiful, beautiful. So why are names, places, and numbers so important in metaphysical interpretation? Well, names, places, and numbers are, we all know what they are, but in, in New Thought, and in metaphysics, we always look for the deeper substance behind everything we see. And so when we look at a tree or a flower or a squirrel, you know, some sort of animal, we don't just recognize it as some sort of material uh, thing. What we recognize it as is an expression of a deeper spiritual reality. And that allows us to recognize the sacredness of all life and all things. And that whole process is what Christians do. Uh, when we, we may look at someone in life who's not doing real well, who just can't get their act together, for example, and we don't just observe them and judge them for the way they're acting out. What we do is we look at them and we see behind them the hidden promise of God. We see the divine idea that they have. And so when we look, and that's, that's an example of a human being, but we look at a number and or a, a city, a name of a place, or a uh, a, a name of a person, and what we what we do, it's an intuitive process of spiritual understanding, what we call the truth, uh, quote unquote, the truth of that person, that number, that city. An example that I think most people would readily understand, at least people in in the United States, and people in any country, when they regard their own. They, they, they meditate upon their own country, where they came from, or their family, or their region. And invariably, what they see there is something deeper than a physical locality. What they see there is, is almost a divine revelation. And so in the United States, we talk about freedom, and we talk about justice, and we talk about, um, you know, our, our country, tis of thee, and so forth. We're always looking for the deeper meaning. We're always looking for the sacredness of these physical objects. And so when we read a story like the Genesis chapter 1, where there are 
seven days, uh, six of which are creative and one of which is a day of rest, we interpret that number seven as being uh, important. It's not five days, it's seven days. And seven is a, a number of completion. Again, uh, an example of 40 days in the desert of Jesus is comparable to the 40 years of the Hebrews um, before they entered into the promised land. 40 seems to be a number that represents it's uh, a time to get going, a time to move on, a time to uh, be transformed. And anyone who's going to go on a diet in January should be holding that number 40 real, holding, real tight in their mind because it's not a three-day diet. It's a 40-day diet. Gotcha, gotcha. So obviously want to get to the Jesus question so we can make sure that uh, people who are coming to hear those answers, you know, can get them. So let me jump right to it. How does New Thought and the Unity Movement view Jesus? Okay, well, it, thank you for the question, because I, at least in my opinion, uh, many people in Unity and New Thought um, or at least in unity. Let me speak from unity. I'll speak for unity because I'm I'm a licensed unity teacher. Um, they, they began off referring to Jesus as a way shower. That's the term, quote unquote, way shower. Now, people that are not in new thought, people who are not metaphysically inclined, will say, "Well, you just think Jesus is a a, a knowledgeable teacher." You look at him as a, a philosopher or as a, uh, a great teacher, but someone with no real power. That is the, the criticism, somewhat justified, of referring to Jesus as a way shower. And the, the point being that way shower is a much more powerful uh, uh, depiction of Jesus than than most people understand. And the reason is Jesus taught truth, not necessarily by his words, but by his life. And regardless of where one may come down on the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, or the, uh, the, the birth of Jesus, the miracle stories, or may come down on uh, Jesus' capacity to heal, he, he's obviously far more than a philosopher far more than a teacher. In other words, he provided us not only words of how to um, manifest greatness, he also provided us by example of how to do that. Now, that was the early years, okay? Um, at least Charles Fillmore, in, over his career, shifted his view of Jesus quite a bit uh, in the past, in the last 15 years of his life, to what I would call a way maker, not a way shower, but a way maker. Now, a way maker is a different, uh, different category of spiritual leadership. Uh, a way maker actually changes the lay of the land, so to speak, so that people have something that they didn't have prior to the way shower appearing. And um, I, I can share some resources, but basically 
what Charles Fillmore and and uh, his second wife Cora Fillmore came to understand in the last few years is that he actually changed the ethers of which we live in today, uh, so that it is a much more graceful uh, world that we're in, and um, and 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 the the. Uh, the, the teaching is from the latter years of the Fillmore's is that uh, Jesus actually uh, uh, provided the cells of his body into the atmosphere of which we are all partaking at any given moment. Um, now that is impersonal. It doesn't mean that Jesus saves me and doesn't save you. But what it does say is Jesus and the legacy of Jesus is actually uh, transformed our world into a much more gracious place for everyone. And so I would say, yes, it is true, Jesus is a way shower, but he is also a way maker. And that is one of the reasons why I refer to myself as a New Thought Christian. And so many people in New Thought uh, are ambivalent about the role and the agency of Jesus to actually help in transformation. Um, but a New Thought Christian, not a New Thoughter, but a New Thought Christian would recognize and acknowledge that Jesus has actually uh, empowered us in a way that uh, we really don't understand. I realize it's a little bit um, uh, difficult to grasp for some people, um, but there are people uh, like myself and, and many others that I know who refer to themselves as New Thought Christian, and that's important, uh, an important distinction. Well, uh, well, in this ministry, we consider ourselves a New Thought Christian ministry, the Universal Foundation for Better Living, and Johnny Coleman, and you know, obviously now Christ Universal Temple because all of that came out of her consciousness, and actually. In our first introductory class, we call it Basic Truth Principles, Part 1. Everything here has to go through. People take two classes before they take some of the deeper required courses. Not electives, but required courses. Basic Truth Principles, the first two, uh, they study two books. New Thought Christian by William Warch and Alternatives by William Fisher. And what that does is it really gives people an understanding of, yes, we're New Thought, but we're New Thought Christian. We're metaphysical Christians, and uh, it and it also allows people to make the decision of understanding what is the difference between a fundamentalist Christian and a New Thought Christian, because it's right there in your face. Then we do lessons in truth in the second class, but you know what Reverend Coleman discovered was sometimes people couldn't deal with the purity of H. Emily Cady until they reconciled um, uh, their beliefs around Jesus, heaven, hell, baptism, God, and all that other stuff. So so she put an extra class in front of Lessons in Truth just for that purpose, and it works out well for us. Yeah, let me uh, bring out something that I've always appreciated about coming from UFBL, Universal Foundation for Better Living. It's a little bit distinctive from what I learned in Unity. And the difference being, when I speak with a UFBL minister, almost always they will say that our teachings extend Christian teachings. Mm -hmm. 
Unity will tend to say our teachings are um, differ from Christian teachings. And I find the UFBL message much more powerful because they don't, it doesn't um, denigrate in any way uh, the, the years of work that evangelicals and mainline Christians have done. What, what New Thought Christianity has done is it extends it and it enhances it. And it brings the, the traditional Christian into a deeper level, a higher level of the Bible and theology and spirituality and all that without um, denigrating in any way or bringing down uh, traditional Christianity. Yes, you know, so, and I, I got a commercial in two minutes, but I just have to throw this thought in it. and we're going to jump back into it. But I just want to share this thought before I lose it. You know, you know, I travel and speak, as you know. And one of the things that I bump across, uh, it, I bump into a lot is most people in New Thought don't know metaphysical Bible interpretation. That's one. Uh, the second thing is because the the sometimes the leadership can be indifferent toward uh, religious language that people don't know how to deal with. So, you know, most people are former fundamentalists, former Catholics. When, when it's all said and done in our churches, the majority of people are not people who are born into the New Thought movement. And now they don't know how to reconcile the all of the church services, the Sunday schools, the Bible study, what the grandmamas and grandfathers taught them, etc. And when I show up and I start talking about the Bible and then I give a metaphysical interpretation and then a practical application, it's like a world is open to them. And, you know, and, you know, this happens sometimes, you know, in unity churches and science of mind churches where it's not being taught. And because it's not being taught, what ends up happening is, you know, I'm looked at like a unicorn. But I'm like, this is, I was like, I could go home and find 50 teachers who could teach this to you. <laughs> you know, so it's, because I, it's it's a part of my culture. Now that doesn't mean that everybody can do it as well as others. You know, I tend to think that I'm a decent presenter. That being said, it's not it's not just the fact that that I'm a good presenter. The issue is what I'm presenting sounds unique to people in a culture that it shouldn't be unique in. Ernest Holmes taught metaphysical and Bible interpretation, and all uh, along with Fillmore and a, a whole bunch of other people. Yet it doesn't seem as though, oh, that's the music we got to go. It doesn't seem as though it's being emphasized these days for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we're going to take our break, and we'll be right back with True Transforms. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Uh, we're in the midst of a series titled The Secrets of Bible Study 
today my guest is uh mark hicks reverend mark hicks he's the he's the minister of the unity in baltimore and he is the the founder of the truth unity uh dot net website which has fantastic resources let me get my quick commercial before we go back to asking questions about the new thought jesus this show along with all the other shows on unity online radio are supported by your donations so as you freely receive my request is that you freely give uh this show along with the other shows go all over the world there are a lot of places in the world that that do not have access to this type of teaching and what we're doing is helping to shift the consciousness of the world by getting this material out there in a practical and easy manner for people to utilize if this show also has a facebook page my request is that you like the page that you give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. The show is also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. My request yet again is whatever is the method in which you listen to this show, that you actually write a, write a positive review and give it a five-star rating. Share the post that you see. Uh, let people know about it if it's blessing you if it's helping you let other people know about it if specific episodes helped and blessed you share them with people we want to make sure that this ministry impacts as many people as possible also want to remind you that christ universal temple has a live stream you can go to our website www.cutemple.org cu the word temple.org Sundays, 10.30 a.m. until noon we uh, Central Time. You can click on and watch our live stream. The live stream is also available on our, on our YouTube page, which is CU Temple, so you can watch it. And if you don't catch the live stream, you can get an abridged, just the sermon, a few days later on YouTube. Uh, so all of these wonderful sermons, just hundreds of sermons are just on our YouTube page right now so you can hear me obviously reverend wells who's the senior minister and some of our other ministers and guests throughout the years give yourself the benefit of the blessing of of consciousness expansion by tuning in and 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 immersing yourself in this message all right so mark i want to get back to the questions oh let me give the uh the number if you want to call in and ask Mark Hicks, a, uh, a question, call in at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. Now, back to the questions. Mark, can you explain the metaphysical interpretation of Christ, Jesus, and Jesus Christ? Well, yes, I can. And uh, But it's all based on the idea that we don't worship Jesus, we follow Jesus. Traditional Christianity has uh, twisted things. When Jesus was on earth, about in, in our world, he asked people to follow him. He never said, worship me. And so what these various terms do is they give us ways to talk about how we follow Jesus. Um, Jesus is Jesus, a man who walked in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Christ, the term Christ is a, um, um, it's a, uh, a title. 
Um, and it's a title that all of us have the potential of acquiring, our Christhood. And we often say in metaphysical religion, I behold the Christ as you, the Christ in you, I behold uh, you as the Christ. And what that means is um, I recognize your capacity, your God-given capacity to rise to uh, to become a great divine person. So Christ is a divine idea. Jesus is the person. Jesus Christ is Jesus of Nazareth in his full expression of divinity. And that implies that there was a time when Jesus was not Jesus Christ. He was Jesus. He discovered and achieved a state of divinity, um, according to metaphysical interpretation, uh, and as we all do. And so in terms of capacity, uh, Jesus is no more gifted than us. He is far more achieved, far more evolved, um, but Jesus Christ is the fully evolved um, divine Jesus, who is part of the Trinity. And that's an important point because we say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in traditional religion. Sonship is Christhood, and we have that same capacity. So we don't worship Jesus. We follow Jesus in Jesus' sonship, in his divinity. Now, what does that mean when we're talking about our own pathway, our own process? And what we have done in metaphysical Christianity is uh, taken Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus as the term that refers to your capacity and my capacity for uh, following Jesus. In other words, we have that potential and we have that obligation to follow Jesus and that is our Christ Jesus. And so we have we have Christ, which is a title. We have Jesus, which is a person in a certain time and place. We have Jesus Christ, together, who is the fulfilled ex divine expression of Christ. And then we have Christ Jesus, which is our own calling. It is our own ability um, uh, to achieve Christhood, to... Um, to uh, follow Jesus in the sonship of the Trinity. I hope that's helpful. Yes, yes. You know, I was playing with it. Um, and we have a call I'm about to bring on in one moment, uh, uh, studio, just in one moment. But, the, um, you know, I was playing with it in my head because I was like, okay, this was one of the terms that was drilled down in, to me when I was uh, a young metaphysician. And, uh, you know, we, we, we would, we, we would do the traditional way you, you taught it. And then we would do a, uh, one little extra spin. And, uh, one of the spins that we would do, at least in the UFBL, and I'm sure it's probably just originally old school unity was, you know, we would do the Christ God's idea of itself. Um, you know, the seed thought the idea, Jesus representing the understanding use of that idea. And uh, and then Jesus Christ, the perfect manifestation of that idea. So it was 
So there was Jesus, the person, Christ idea, Jesus, the human being, and then Jesus Christ. But then it was, what was those, what are the, what does that represent as stages in my own consciousness? So, it, so I, 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 I think when you combine both of those two ways of looking at things, it gives you how Jesus grew, and then you use Jesus's model as your own growth. Um, you know, I don't want to have, you know, let me stop talking because we have a caller uh, named Reverend Dan Beckett. Reverend Dan ah. Beckett. Reverend Beckett, are you there? I am here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. How how are you doing? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Columbia, South Carolina, and I have a, a question for you both. Uh, as as Reverend Mark will know, this is a little bit loaded, and I'm sure he'll share it with you. But I, <laughs> okay. I love this way of uh, looking at the Bible. You know, it's really what hooked me onto unity and sort of drew me into a spiritual way of living, which I really had walked away from, even you know, as a teenager. Uh, now as a unity minister. So yeah, God does have a sense of humor. But here's what I'm most interested in with this is, how do you think we can share this view of the Bible uh, with the world at large, or perhaps uh, more specifically with the Christian world, in a way that they will hear it? You know, because uh, I, I know that it's a, a futile kind of approach with anything to go to a group and say, um, Hey, by the way, the way you're looking at this is wrong, and, and we have it right. Let us tell you the right way. Okay, that, that, that creates isolation. And I don't believe that that's actually the truth of what we have. I think we have something extremely valuable to add to the experience of uh, anyone who considers themselves Christian, as I do and as I know Mark does, and I, I'm hearing Reverend Galen too. So what do you think? How can we share this most effectively well, I'll let I'll let Reverend Mark jump in first, then, because I have a lot of strong views about this question. So, so go, right, I'll, go I'll ahead, my, Reverend I'll take Mark. Take the answer off the air. Thank you both so much. Okay. <laughs> well, Thanks. Here's here's my take: is that most people, uh, lay people today, get their theology from their study Bible. In other words, they, they, they get one of the study Bibles, and it might be a life application Bible coming from the evangelical world or a Catholic study Bible, but they read the footnotes and the commentary more than they read the text. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the way most people today acquire their theology. And to answer Dan's question, and it is a loaded question, uh, uh, I have formed, and, and Dan's a... a big supporter and, and contributor to what we call the Fillmore Bible Society. And we are publishing a Fillmore Study Bible. We're uh, writing commentary now and, and soliciting commentaries. But the idea being that we will find in church bookstores a Fillmore Study Bible, just like the Harper Study Bible, just like the Oxford Annotated Bible. There will be a Bible that is the NRSV text with commentary by uh, Charles Fillmore and his students, and that it will allow people to learn New Thought uh, teachings, New Thought Christianity, in the way they learn their evangelical Christianity by through the Bible. And so it's a it's a subtle way to introduce people to these teachings in in a format that's familiar to them, and that's uh, that's where we're headed. Uh, 
Reverend Galen, what's your thoughts? Okay, so before I give my thoughts on that, I want to say this because I think it's exceptionally important what I'm about to say. If there are people who are listening to this show who are connected to New Thought churches and larger organizations like I am, you know, I'm senior assistant minister of CUT. I'm a second vice president of UFBL. Um, I, I, and I know people connected as Sinister Spiritual Living people out here, Divine Science, Independent New Thought people. What Mark just said, the work that he's doing needs to be funded. What ends up happening is we expect everybody to do everything else for us. I don't know if there's a link on your website that says help donate for this or whatever. I can't tell you how many times I've had students over the last 24 years of me teaching new thought have asked me, is there such thing as a metaphysical Bible, not dictionary, Bible? Because the Bible that I learned from, I had to unlearn stuff even after I came into new thought. Because I learned new thought out of the context of studying a new open Bible from uh, 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 Thomas Nelson. So I, my favorite Bible that I would use had all these fundamentalist notes and I was learning metaphysics. So my paradigm was fundamentalism or new thought. Whereas now I use Bibles like HarperCollins study Bible that has mainstream Bible notes. It helps a lot. But what if I had a Bible that had the notes in it already with the metaphysical interpretations and the, and the ways you can get other resources? What Mark is doing is basically saying we need to step up our game. So if you're out there, contact Mark. Mark, if you have a website or a link or email address that you can give people right now, please do so. I don't want this to be lost. Then I'll give my answer. Okay. Well, the the uh, the URL, put in your uh, computer, truthunity.net slash Bible. And if okay. you do that, you'll notice there's some icons up there, and one of which will say the Fillmore Bible Society. And uh, and that will give you all the information about this project that Dan and I are are spearheading and, uh, and where we're going, what we need. And by the way, last month we got a $2,000 donation uh, for the Fillmore Study Bible, and I was just delighted. I, I emailed Dan immediately, and I said, "You got two thousand dollars to spend, Dan." And so we're we're making progress. Also, the uh, the copyright owners of the NRSV version uh, have have offered to uh, on very generous terms to allow us to use their text to add commentary, and we do have the book, the Gospel of John. Fillmore Study Bible out on Amazon right now, and you will see that on the link as well. Yes, and and I'm going to tell you why this is so important. We didn't do it. Johnny Coleman actually, in, in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, wanted to create a, what she called it, a, a, a Christ Universal Temple Bible. And what it would have in it was the first, we were talking with a publisher that would have allowed the first 20 pages of the Bible to just be our basic principles, what we teach about, whatever we wanted to put in there, uh, graphics, notes, interpretation. Now, the rest of the Bible would have been their Bible. And um, once we got too far into it, uh, Reverend Coleman thought it was, you know, she had some hesitancy for some reason because of the volume we would have had to pay to keep the price down. Um, 
that being said, um, she knew then that having the ability to open up a Bible, a Bible and see new thought material in it mattered. And this was literally, I would say, probably 2001, because I was helping with the projects and what needs to be in it. And, I, you know, it, it, so what you're doing right now, I think is so important. Now, as far as my answer to Dan, I think it's a couple of things. One, uh, New Thought Movement needs to have more ways to train people. When you're, If you're a Baptist, you can go to tons of Baptist schools to learn how to be trained to be a Baptist minister and teacher. Uh, we are very restrictive when it comes to uh, the ability for us to train and develop talent. You have to have talent. You have to have people who are doing two different things, one of which is the presentation, preachers, and then you also have to have scholars. No movement grows without both. Everybody's not going to be in front of folks as the primary presenter of a message. You need charismatic people to do that. Sometimes people in New Thought can be, in my opinion, rather dry in their presentation. And we're competing against the best speakers in the world. And when I say competing, I don't mean from a standpoint of football or basketball. I'm talking about for the attention of people. Second thing, the Bible. You have to respect it. Not worship it, but you got to respect it. If people feel as though you devalue the thing that they love, then you close yourself off to their hearing. So what I do uh, and what we've learned how to do, all of us on this call, is, uh, as Marcus Borg said, taking the Bible seriously, but not literally. And I think if we show people how they can ha have enhanced use of the Bible and show them in a plausible way, I think we get the low-hanging fruit. I don't think we get the hardcore fundamentalists, but we can get the low-hanging fruit who still value the Bible, who still um, uh, feel want to be able to make sense of what they've learned in their childhood. And they still see the value in it. Third thing for me is don't be scared to teach it. I think that new thought as a whole has become so generic. And this is just my position. And there might be people out there that might have good reasons why they do it. But when if we sound so much like the motivational speaker or the word of faith preacher that people can't distinguish us between them, that means we're losing because we can't outdo them. We can't. So they take bits of what we do. They put it into their systems, into their processes, into, and into their presentation style, and they create these hybrids. But the thing about it is um, what we have is unique. And if we're not willing to teach it properly uh, and strongly and profess it with courage, then it dies. I go by, I use the moniker hardcore metaphysics. That's what I do. When I wrote the article in the Science of Mind magazine earlier this year, the two articles, I named them hardcore metaphysics. When I get up to preach, I always tell people, are you ready for hardcore metaphysics? That's what I do. So around here, they call me the hardcore metaphysician. But it's a reason. I do it because I want people to understand when I open my mouth, that's what you're going to get. Now, can I teach the goal setting stuff? Yes. Can I teach all the, 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 the self-help stuff? Yes, and I do it well, but we have to have the courage to stand on and teach what transformed our lives. We want to give people watered-down versions, and if we would have gotten the watered-down version, we might not have gotten the transformation. So Johnny Coleman would say, Mark and Dan, who's off the call now, I'm going to put it on the plate, and you decide if you want to take it off the plate or not. She used to say that some of her unity minister friends in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s would get on her because she taught the 12 powers to the general congregation. 
She didn't make people wait for classes. She just taught it. And she got flack for that. And her job was, when she was teach, what she used to tell us was, who am I to say what, what another song's ready for? I'm going to present it. And if they can't deal with it, they leave it on the plate and pick up what they ha- they need. So that would be my three things. We need we need seminaries. We need training. We need to be able to create scholars and preachers. We need to be able to buy, deal with the Bible in a respectful manner without worshiping it. And we doesn't we don't need to be scared. We have to have courage to teach it purely. Doesn't mean it doesn't evolve. The methodology doesn't evolve. That doesn't mean that we have to turn into feel more fundamentalists or homes fundamentalists because they weren't fundamentalists of anybody. But let's make sure that we get the essence of what it is before we start adding everything to it and turning our new thought into uh, uh, spirituality gumbo. That would be my response. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so uh, that was a but, tangent, but what, I told you I had a lot of opinions about it. Well, and what you've exhibited is extending the Christian story. You haven't rejected the Christian story. You've right. extended it. And so we've got 2.9 billion Christians in the world today. Okay, that's that's the number, 2.9 billion. And they're all looking for a better way. These are people who have some semblance of these Bible stories. They have some semblance of a spiritual pathway. We're not asking them to lay aside anything. We're asking them to extend what they're doing. Charles Fillmore once said that he accepted all the tenets of the Christian uh, doctrine, comma, spiritually interpreted. And that's exactly what you've described, is an extension of Christianity, not a rejection of Christianity. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think we don't have time for, uh, we probably have time for uh, one more question, uh, or I could do two if, well, uh, if we're fast, because we have three I'll minutes. Go quick. All right. First one is, how does New Thought explain the atonement of Jesus? Well, the atonement of Jesus is aligning our minds with God mind. It's about transformation. It's not about confession. Traditional Christianity is about confessing Jesus. Metaphysical Christianity says you are saved not by confession, but by transformation. We, and transformation is our aligning our minds with the mind of God. My mind and the mind of God are one. All right, beautiful, beautiful. How does New Thought interpret the second coming of Christ? Well, the first coming is John the Baptist uh, mentality. It's acquiring an intellectual understanding of what is going on. The second coming is when it reaches deep into our subconscious phase of mind, our emotions, our, our uh, feelings, and it's a when we are transformed to a point where uh, our, our thinking process is aligned with God mind. That is the second coming of Christ. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, which authors do you follow for insight on how to interpret the Bible? Well, there's there's metaphysical authors and then there's historical authors, and uh, um, they were, historical is is number of great ones out there: John Dominic Crossan, Herbert Hunt, uh, Michael White, who's uh, just happens to be a, a guy I took class from. He he did a well-known PBS special called 
from Jesus to Christ, and you can you can search that, and it's a it's a wonderful overview. But metaphysical interpretations, um, I go back to Unity's uh, Bible lessons uh, over a 70-year period. It's on our website called Unity Bible Lessons, 1895 to 1965, and we've got it there all sorted out chapter by chapter. And so you go online, you pick the chapter, and you'll see in the upper right corner a link to what Unity has taught for 70 years. It's 2,400 pages of material clipped and sorted by uh, by material. Um, go to truthunity.net slash Bible, and there you're going to find over 35 resources, and, and one of which is these 2,400 pages, um, there's a number of well-known teachers. Uh, that um, uh, Atkinson is a, a teacher that I know the UFBL has, has uh, relied upon deeply. Uh, we have some Unity teachers, uh, Frank Judici, Ed Rabel, um, Elizabeth Sand Turner. Um, there's a variety of people there that uh, I would recommend. Yeah, well, we definitely, yeah, because we got to wrap up now, but we use a lot of the different texts in our John, in the Johnny Coleman Institute, which I lead, including the Elizabeth Sand Turner trilogy, the Discover the Power Within You, Eric Butterworth, all of the old school stuff. Our basic curriculum is old school unity, and I think it allows us to have the foundation to jump into anything else you want to deal with. So um, I want to thank you, Mark, because we've run out of time. Um, you know, I want to give these three books that you mentioned. You sent me the story of Jesus's soul evolution, mysteries of the four gospels and hidden man of the Bible for people to check out because you did reference that. So God bless you. Thank you so much for saying yes um, to the show. This has been my pleasure. All right. Take care. God bless. Thank you, listeners. I'll be with you not next week, but the week after with True Transforms. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.